been faithful, hey? We good? All right. Well, welcome back, and uh, good to have you here for the afternoon service at Keith Heights Baptist Church. And we've had a good day so far um, around God's Word and time of fellowship. And um, so anyway, we're very excited to uh, have the afternoon again to take some time to look into God's Word. And we've tried to make our afternoon set, uh, uh, time period together and preaching time uh, something of a very practical nature uh, to be able to try to help us uh, with some things. Um, so I want to encourage you in some stuff here um, with regards to uh, uh, the fear of the Lord this afternoon. Okay, How do we fear the Lord? And we hear that phrase used a lot. Uh, what does it mean? How do we go about fearing God? That kind of thing. And so we want to look at that. Look with me, if you will, in Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter number 1. We're going to look at several things here. So keep your Bibles handy. We'll have uh, several scriptures we're going to turn to. But uh, probably one of the wisest men who ever lived uh, in, in, in Solomon, uh, he's writing to his son in verse 8 of Proverbs 1. He says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father. I'm sorry, I got the wrong uh, passage here. Uh, where is it? Um, uh, I just lost it. <laughs> there we go. Verse number 7. I had the wrong one. I had it marked, but I had it in the wrong verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, we're never going to grow in our knowledge and our wisdom until we have a proper view of God. And over and over again, we, we talk about throughout Scripture having a, a proper view of God. And part of that is to have what the Bible refers to as the fear of God or of the fear a uh, fear of God. Now, there are several things that will benefit us um, as we fear God. Uh, we will begin to have a proper view of our own sin. Uh, hold with me, if you will, and turn to Proverbs chapter number eight and verse number thirteen. Proverbs eight and verse number thirteen. Uh, the Bible says this: "The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy." And the evil way in the forward mouth do I hate. Uh, if we don't have a proper view, uh, fear of God in our lives, our sin loses its sinfulness. And we're living in a day where that has played out, hasn't it? Uh, the idea that this world um, has lost their fear of God, and as a result, sin has lost its sinfulness. And I'm thankful the Bible brings this point out. I mean, it's very, very clear to us. Uh, look with me, if you will, in Proverbs chapter number 14. Again, just some of the things that are produced in our lives when the fear of the Lord is what it ought to be. Uh, Proverbs chapter number 14, and look in verse number 27. The Bible says this, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. And uh, the fear of the Lord will bring satisfaction to our lives. Again, when our, when our reverence to God, when His position in our life, is what it ought to be, then everything else kind of falls into place. And there becomes a satisfaction in the Christian life, uh, a peace that satisfies. Look with me, if you will, in Psalm 19. Psalm 19. And verse number 9. The 19th Psalm and verse number 9. I got this. My Bible's not turning quickly here. There we go. The Bible says this, The fear of the Lord is clean... Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Uh, the fear of God will bring about a sanctification in our life. It will bring about a cleansing. Uh, Psalm 119. 
says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way. And the idea that when, when the fear of God, when the position that God has in our lives, the way we view Him, our reverence to Him, our fear of Him, is what it should be, it brings about a cleansing effect. So these are some of the benefits of the fear of the Lord, and we understand that concept. What we don't always understand is, how do we fear the Lord? How do we get to this place? And uh, how do we accomplish getting Him in the right position in our hearts? And we're going to look at that this afternoon. Let's bow our heads in prayer, and we'll get into our service this afternoon. Father, we're thankful for the privilege of being here once again. And as we take a few moments to look at this thing of how do we go about fearing God? How do we get this characteristic in our life? And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and direct us, help us to bring to light the truth of the Scriptures. Because, Lord, the truth is most of us know that we ought to fear you. Most of us understand the benefits that come. We know that the beginning of knowledge is something. The beginning of wisdom is something. We know that, uh, that it prospers us, that it causes us to be satisfied with the Christian life. We understand that it brings about the cleansing effect. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we are guided by your word to understand how it is that we accomplish this thing that we refer to as fearing you. And may we then put it into practice in our lives and begin to uh, gain the benefits in this day and age of fearing you with our hearts and our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter number 10. Jeremiah chapter number 10, and again, we're, we're trying to be practical here and, and show biblical ways that we can come to a place of fearing God. Now, I will say this, that in order for us to fear God, uh, the way that the Bible refers to it, uh, some people have said, well, that means to have a reverence for Him. And yes, it does include having a reverence for Him. I will say this, it goes beyond that, though, in that uh, there is an awe, there is a, a understanding of our lacking in His fullness, His infinites, uh, the idea that he is, he is all in all. And <clears throat> as we see Him more and more the way that He is, according to Scripture, we begin by nature to have more of a fear of Him. And I've heard people say, well, it just means to have a, a reverence or a respect for God. But can I tell you this? There's also an element of an actual fear of God. Uh, when it comes to our holy living and whether or not we're trying to uh, battle sin and temptation in our life so we do not sin, it helps us to gain victory over that, to have a hatred of sin when we realize that God judges sin. And I'll tell you this, that I don't look at God's judgment of my sin as something that I just have reverence for. I, I fear His chastening. I don't, I don't like it. I don't want it in my life. And so, yes, there's reverence, there's awe, there's respect, but there's also fear involved. And I'm not saying we ought to be afraid of God and that we run from Him, but there ought to be a healthy fear. For instance, I was just talking to Brother Harold a little bit ago, uh, I was 17 years old the last time I got a whipping from my dad, a, a, a spanking from my dad with a belt. Uh, and uh, I remember I was, <clears throat> I, my dad, by that time my dad had already had my heart. I was young and athletic and quick and strong. And I'll be honest, I could have easily outran my dad and said, no, you're not spanking me. I'm not going to let you do that. 
but he already had my heart. And I'll tell you this, that uh, yes, I had respect for my dad, and I had an awe for him. I loved him. But I'm going to tell you something. When, when he unlatched the belt and he pulled it and you heard that as it comes out of the belt loops, it wasn't reverence that caused me to break into a cold sweat. There was a fear there. Uh, not that I was scared of my dad, but I feared the authority, the, the judgment that he could place upon me if I did wrong against him. So God doesn't want us to, to be fearful of him in the sense that we want to flee from him or stay away from him, but we need to have a reverence and a, and a fear of who God is. God is a just God. God does chasten his children, and there ought to be a, a fearfulness there. So how do we gain this? Okay, this is, this is something we speak about, we preach about, but we don't always tell uh, Christians or instruct Christians from God's Word, how do we gain this fear of God? How do we gain this, this reverence and respect and, yes, even fear uh, of, of our God and our Savior? And, and it comes from, I'm going to give you uh, six things today that I think the Bible teaches very clearly on this um, when we understand them in their entirety. The first one is found in Jeremiah chapter number 10 and verse number 7. We must have a clear understanding of six things, and to the degree that we understand them will in uh, many parts tell us to the degree that we fear God. It will show us the degree that we fear God. So, again, gaining understanding of these things, reflecting on these things, meditating on these things, will bring about a fear of God in our lives that ought to be there. Let's look in uh, Jeremiah chapter 10. The Bible says in verse number 7, Who would not fear thee, O king of nations, for to thee doth it appertain, for as much as among all the wise men of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. The first thing that we must have a clear understanding of that will bring about fear in our hearts for the Lord, to have the fear of God in our lives, is to understand the fullness of His majesty. And we find here in verse number 7, that of all the nations and all the kingdoms, that there is none like the Lord Jesus Christ, none like God Himself. To understand that when we say He is the King of all kings, there's not a king in this world that has ever been or ever will be that will ever stand even in a stark comparison to Him. For He is far beyond that in His majesty. Uh, the fact that we, we understand uh, the... the uh, uh, the respect that is due to his office. I'm reminded, uh, let's turn to the book of Daniel. I wasn't going to bring this one out, but let's turn to the book of Daniel, if you will, please. And uh, uh, let's go to Daniel chapter number 4. And make sure I can find this. Hopefully I can find it very quickly here. Uh, in, Nebuch uh, in Daniel chapter number 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the ruler of the world power at the time, the, 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 the kingdom of Babylon. Babylon was, uh, was a world empire. They had their finger on every aspect of everything that was in the known world at the time. The most powerful king on the world was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, full of grandeur, full of majesty, uh, very, very, very high and lofty, and he thought highly of himself. And so much so that he had a lot of pride in his heart. And God told him, he said, now listen, Nebuchadnezzar, I've given you all these kingdoms, you, I've allowed this to happen in your life, but if you don't get a handle on this, if you don't humble yourself, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock you down a notch or two. That's what God, I'm paraphrasing it and giving you the, the synopsis. But basically that's what God tells Nebuchadnezzar. Now, and he does that by way of a dream. Now notice in verse number 28 of chapter 4. The Bible says, All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar at the end of twelve months. He walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom? By the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. Boy, he's really priding himself on this, isn't he? While the word was yet in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, uh, and they shall drive thee from men. Thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee eat grass uh, as oxen seven times shall pass over thee, uh, meaning seven years, until thou know, notice this, that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Uh, By the way, that helps Christians to understand that the heart of the king is in the Lord's hand. Nothing to fear. We certainly want to be praying for our leaders. Amen? And the same hour, notice this, was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men. And he did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, his nails were like bird claws. And at the end of the days, uh, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lift up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar says. And I blessed... The Most High. (laughs) And I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven. Among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say unto Him, what does what dost thou doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, for the glory of mine kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought after me, and I was established in my kingdom. An excellent majesty was added to me. Now, now we look at that phrase and we think, Lord, what are you doing here? The whole problem with Nebuchadnezzar was he had too much power, too much majesty. He thought too highly of himself. He was too proud. And yet in verse number 36, God gives him back all of his kingdom, all of his rulers. And the Bible says this, and and Nebuchadnezzar by his own testimony says this, And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added me. Now this is my personal opinion. I believe one day I'm going to be in heaven with Nebuchadnezzar. The reason I believe that is I believe that Nebuchadnezzar understood who God was and finally bowed to his authority in his life. He was used to write a chapter of our scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible says this in verse number 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. That doesn't sound like the Nebuchadnezzar we read about earlier in the chapter, does it? The most powerful man in the earth, the one who had the most might and majesty, bows himself to the majesty of Almighty God. He says, I praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and His ways judgment, and those that walk in pride 
He is able to abase. We begin to see God in His majesty. He's not something that we carry in our wallets or our purses for a time of an emergency. But He is our King. He's the one we bow to. He's the one that we pay homage to. That we lift Him up as worthy of our praise. And folks, we live in a day where we've lost a lot of that. And because of that, we've lost the fear of God. We need to have a full understanding of His majesty in order to have His fear. In Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse number 7, uh, said this, uh, Therefore, uh, I'm sorry, I got the wrong chapter. Verse number 7 says, Who would not fear Thee, O King of nations? Who would not fear Thee? If we ever got to the place where we saw God the way that He is in His true majesty and glory, the question is this, who would not fear Thee? Not how do we fear Thee, but who would not? There needs to be a full understanding of His majesty. The second one we find is in the book of Revelation, if you'll turn back there. Revelation chapter number 15. We need to have a full understanding of His majesty. Secondly, we need to have a full understanding of His holiness. Revelation chapter number 15, in the, to the degree that we have an understanding and we meditate on His holiness, will in a large part determine the extent and the degree to which we'll fear Him. Revelation chapter 15, notice in verse number 3, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. We begin to align our lives alongside of the pattern of our God. His holiness. We begin to see our own depravity. We begin to see our own uh, 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 inability. There's no more an arrogance about us that feels that we have even the capability of earning our way into the presence of such a king. That we can by our, some degree of righteousness of ourselves come before his presence. The truth is he's the holiest of all. And even the very best of righteousness that we have pales in comparison to His holiness. And as we begin to understand the holiness of our God, it's absolute. I believe it was John who penned the words, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Not one shred of sin, not one shred of unholiness, but He is holy. And He commands for you and I as His children to be holy because He is holy. And to the degree that we can begin to meditate on and think about the holiness of our God will in a large part determine how much we fear God. So how do we begin to fear God? Well, first of all, we need to reflect on His majesty. There need to be times where we spend meditating and thinking on His majesty that He is our King. And is worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship. He is holy. We need to meditate on that. Absolute holiness. Absolute purity. 
there's a fear that comes from this. The fear of God. Look with me, if you will, in the book of Psalm. Psalms uh, 130. The 130th Psalm, if you will, verse number 4. 130th Psalm and verse number 4, the Bible says this, But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. We begin to see the forgiveness of God. We meditate on it. These, these, these things that we look at, forgiveness being one of His attributes, we begin to understand the magnitude, the long-suffering, the the love, the grace, the mercy that is all wrapped up in this word forgiveness. And we meditate on it. We think on it. The more that we meditate and think on the forgiveness of God, the more that we fear Him. We have respect unto Him. We have reverence unto Him. For God hath forgiven me. Because He hath forgiven me, I have a great, great debt that I owe to Him. Something that I could not do, a price that I could not pay, a debt that I owed that there was no way that I could ever redeem myself. And by the way, neither could you. was accomplished because of the forgiveness of God. The idea being that God is a forgiving God and it allows us to fear Him to meditate on it, to think on it. Look with me, if you will, in the book of Joshua, chapter number 4. We need to meditate and think and have a full understanding of His majesty. We need to have a full understanding of His holiness. We need to have a full understanding and meditate upon His forgiveness. And in Joshua, chapter number 4, we find that we need to have a full understanding of His power and His might. Look with me in Joshua 4 and verse number 23. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know that the hand uh, know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Can I tell you this? That God is all powerful. He is all powerful. The, the laws of nature do not affect our God. He's the one that wrote them. He's the one that can suspend them. He's the one that can stand in a ship in the middle of the storm and say, Peace be still, and the winds and the waves bow to His command. He's the one that if He tells the sun and the moon to both stand still, they obey His command. And when we understand the physics and the science behind all of that, it's, it helps us to understand the magnitude of His power. To think this thought, that He stepped out one day in the middle of nothing and spoke everything that is in existence into existence. What a thought. And He takes six days to do this. I shared this this week in our morning devotion time. He took six days to do that, and the Bible says on the seventh day He rested. But I don't want us to get the wrong understanding here because he didn't rest because he was tired. Understanding that all of the creative work of God, when we look at the magnitude of earth and space and nature, that God made all of this come into existence, it did not deplete him at all. It did not cause him to become weary or tired. 
And I'm going to tell you, when we can begin to understand or fathom or even put our minds upon the absolute uh, infinite amount of God's power, the more that we do that, the more that we put our minds to it, the more that we try to comprehend and understand it, the more that the fear of God begins to come into our lives. There's an absolute awe of Him. A reverence that was not there before. Not a reverence that we've drummed up, but a reverence that comes because we start recognizing who He is. A fear that comes from Him as we recognize who He is. I've often wondered, I love science. I've often wondered, because I understand laws of uh, centrifugal force. And things that are moving in a circle have such absolute centrifugal force. And then I begin to look at the elements of an atom and how they revolve at such rapid rate around the, the nucleus of that atom. And I look at the earth itself revolving and yet things are attracted to it rather than flying off of it. I look at the universes and the galaxies that are spinning at unbelievable speeds and yet they're held together. And I've often thought this, that if God were to simply take His hand off of it, of holding everything in perfect balance and order, that it would all fly apart. Why? Because of His might and His power. And that's my God. That's the God I get to worship. That's the God I get to pray to. That's the one that I can come to with my problems that so often I fear are too big for Him to handle. We don't like to admit it, but how often do we do that? Well, Lord, I don't know if you can... Boy, this is a tough one. This one's a really tough one. As if it's going to deplete God's strength at all. As if it might weary Him or, or cost Him too great of an effort. Oh, the omnipotence of God. The fact that He is infinitely powerful. We begin to meditate and think on that. We begin to have a fear of God. 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter number 12. We need to have an understanding and meditate on His majesty, His holiness. His forgiveness, His power, all of these things the Bible says brings the fear of God. We need to have an understanding of God's goodness. 1 Samuel chapter number 12. And look with me if you will in verse number 24. The Bible says, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things He hath done for you. You want to gain a reverence to God? You want to have the kind of, you want God to have the kind of place in your heart that we so much long for Him to have? Start reflecting on His goodness to you. It, it, it will cause us to have eternal gratitude, to be forever indebted to Him. It's part of having the fear of God in our lives. To look at God and say, God, how can I even stand in your presence for all the blessings you've brought into my life and not one of them was I ever worthy of? You know, the Bible says that God is good. 
doesn't say that He does good, although He does. It says He is good. It's part of who He is. That's part of His character. It's part of the nature of God to be good. We begin to reflect on the goodness of God. You know, this is probably one of the ones that we struggle with the most because we don't recognize so many things to be the goodness of God. I was talking to somebody this week, uh, a pastor friend of mine, and I said, you know, we, uh, I've, been to, I've been to Haiti, I've been to some undeveloped islands in the Bahamas, and I've been to El Salvador. I've seen places that are far worse off than the United States of America. I made the statement to him. I said, "You know, we we get pictures of our of our shopping centers. You know, we're 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 getting nervous that the the shelves are empty at some of our shopping uh, our grocery shops and and WalMarts. You know, there are countries today that would give anything to have a Walmart or a grocery store as empty as ours have been recently." God has been truly good. We get in the mindset that we're suffering here in the United States of America. Can I tell you this? We don't even know what suffering is. We have been inconvenienced. We've perhaps had to change the level at which we enjoy living. But we have certainly not suffered. And we look at that and we say, that's God's goodness. Most of us slept in a bed last night, woke up this morning with another day to serve Him. That's God's goodness. Most of us had something to eat today. That's God's goodness. Most of us have running water and cars to drive and air conditioning and cushioned seats. That's God's goodness. Here's one that we don't think about and thank Him for very often. We have God's Word in our language. There are people around the world that would give anything to have that. That's God's goodness. It will help us to have a fear of God. For Him to have His rightful place in our hearts as we meditate and think on God's goodness. The last one we find in Revelation chapter 14. I say the last one. I'm sure there are many others we could pick. But I want you to look with me also at Revelation 14. We'll begin reading in verse number 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And I tell you this, when we reflect... And understand and meditate on God's judgment. I am thankful that I am not judged as far as my eternal destination is concerned. I am not judged for my sin any longer. That judgment was taken care of at Calvary. But the Bible says that I will stand one day and give an account for every deed that I do in my life since I have been saved. We'll give an account, the Bible says, for every idle word. 
for those that are lost and not saved. There will come a time where you will stand before God whether you believe in Him or not and give an account. And He will bring judgment. If you've trusted Him as your Savior, you'll get to enter into eternal rest with Him in a home in heaven for all of eternity. But if you have denied God and you've rejected Him, He's going to cast you into the lake of fire. And the judgment of God, as we reflect upon it, will bring a fear of God. We begin to think of the fact that everything that we do in our lives with regards to our works as Christians will be judged. And some are going to burn as wood, hay, and stubble. And that will give us a fear of God. It causes us to change our conduct. It causes us to change our motives, our reason for why we do what we do. We begin to think through, am I going to be able to present this to God as something that was done for His glory, or is this going to burn as wood, hay, and stubble? We need to reflect and, and meditate and think on, and I think that there ought to be seasons of time in our lives. It may be daily. If we struggle with having the right fear of God, I would recommend it be daily maybe even several times a day, that we set aside a period of time to get alone in a quiet place and take these six things and open up God's Word and look for these six things that we can meditate on and think on. And I'll promise you this, the more we understand Him, the more that we see these attributes of His, of His character, the more we will fear Him. I wish it was something that you could just say, okay, here's what you got to do. One, two, three, and the fear of God will be there. But it really comes down to the time that we spend understanding and meditating on who God is. As we see Him more clearly, uh, the fear of God will grow in our lives. And we will be more of what we should be for Him. And so I hope that will be a help to you. Uh, again, there are many, many other things we can look at in Scripture perhaps. I believe these six are some good ones to start with. To say, boy, I just don't have the fear of God. I don't have Him in the right place in my life. He's not the Lord. He's not the King of my life. A uh, great place to start focusing on these six things. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful that it instructs us in righteousness. Lord, how grateful we are. If we did not have these things, how in the world would we ever know how we are to conduct ourselves? Lord, our desire would be there to please You and to glorify You, but we would become so frustrated because we wouldn't understand how to do it. So, Lord, this morning I come to You and we're grateful, or this afternoon, we're grateful that You have given us Your Word in our language, preserved, inerrant. Lord, we're so grateful that You've allowed us to learn from Your Word today some things that will help us to fear You the way that You intend for us to. And I pray that You will help those that are listening by way of the streaming, that we will uh, have moments and seasons of time, perhaps daily, maybe weekly, maybe monthly, but that we will set aside periods of time where we will get in a quiet place, open Your Word with no other intent than to look for these things, to meditate upon them in Your Word and to be able to fear You the way that You have asked us to. 
bless us now throughout this week, and may you give us uh, opportunities, even with the coronavirus and the stay-at-home orders and all of the things that are going on, that you would provide open avenues and open doors of opportunity to bring uh, the Word of God to minister to others, to share it with those that need to hear. Bless us and dismiss us with your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.